playoffs. The 2023 Zips projected standings are here and they view the San Francisco Giants as a playoff team. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, back to that format next week. We've been three days a week talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And where we get started, like I said, playoffs, the, the Zips projected standings are here and it's a surprisingly good projection for the San Francisco Giants. Now, if if you know me, you know that I've I'm typically not some doom and gloom person when it comes to the Giants and I think that uh you know the drama of this offseason kind of overshadowed that they made a bunch of solid moves and they they didn't land that superstar talent but they they added like seven quality players Jack Peterson among them I'm counting him as adding as an added player even though he was on the team last year but bringing him back Haniger Conforto Stripling, Manaya, Rogers, and Luke Jackson. It's just a solid group there. And yes, the Zips projection here has them making the playoffs. And actually, what's shocking, perhaps, is that the projection here, according to Zips, has them only three wins worse than the Padres and Dodgers, who are projected here to be tied for first place in the division with just 91 wins. And so there's a lot to unpack here, but basically, these projections, you know, we talk about them every year. And normally I'm like, yeah, I think that it's too pessimistic about the Giants. This might be the first time I'm ever saying, I think this is more optimistic than I was expecting. I certainly wasn't expecting, you know, 90 losses, but I thought maybe 85 wins, 86 wins, 84, 85, 86, somewhere in there that the projection would come in. But but no, it has them at 88 and Dan Zimborski, who, you know, is the creator of this projection system, had a little recap that he wrote here. And he said, quote, Zips surprised me a bit with the NLS, not so much in terms of the order of the standings, but with the relatively small gap between the Dodgers and Padres and the Giants. The first two are both terrific teams, but there are real downside concerns. The Padres have serious questions at DH. And the quality of the rotation drops off quickly, and the Dodgers' issues aren't all that dissimilar. So yes, we have spent time a little bit talking this offseason about the Padres and the Dodgers and those rosters. I'm someone, I'm always going to say this, I don't think it's that relevant what the rest of your division looks like or is doing because especially now with the new playoff format and even more so with the, and in addition now the new schedule that includes far fewer divisional games if you didn't know this normally you play your in intra division game uh, each team 19 times a year and now it's 
I think it's 13 times a year, 12 times a year. I knew it and it just escaped me, but it's, it's, you've cut, I think actually 14 or so. So you've cut back five games per team. So it's 10 fewer games against the Padres and the Dodgers for the Giants. And also with the uh, playoff structure, to win the division is like, much more challenging of a of a task than simply getting into the playoffs and i don't think it matters that much you can win the division these days and not get a first round bye and actually is that what is projected here there's a projection here for the cardinals to win their division with 91 wins but say the cardinals get 92 and the first place winner in the West only has 91. The projection in the East is a 94 win tie between the Braves and the Mets. And so in that case, winning the division wouldn't even get you that first round buy. Only the top two division winners per league get that first round buy. And so it literally wouldn't matter that you won the division in that case. You might as well be a wildcard team in that you have to play that wildcard round. And so there's far less importance than ever before, really, on winning the division. And so I just don't care. Everybody always wants to talk about the Dodgers and the Padres and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Plus, the, the projection here has the Giants within very much striking distance of the division. And Dan Zaborski goes on to say, the Giants seem to have a lower ceiling than their rivals, but like the Braves and Cards, Zips sees them eking out a few extra wins simply by having enough depth to reduce the number of downside downside scenarios in the mystery bucket. And that's exactly how I would view the Giants. And, and specifically when we look at the Padres and the Dodgers. Now, it's important to note that the Dodgers, like, got worse. There's just no question that the Dodgers, they didn't really make any effort seemingly to improve their team and they lost some key guys they lost Justin Turner who was getting up there in age and wasn't maybe that significant but also they lost Trey Turner Uh, he goes to the Phillies and they didn't really replace him and so yes they've got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Will Smith and Max Muncie that's a good group there but then after that if you look at their lineup J.D. Martinez who's just kind of been in decline and is just a hitter and doesn't play the field and again, has been in some apparent decline. And then Gavin Lux, who's kind of unproven still and hasn't really broken out as hoped. Trace Thompson, who's just kind of, uh, he, he was good last year, but he's had his ups and downs and he's far from like a super established player. Chris Taylor, who had a really down year last year. Miguel Vargas, who's an unproven rookie. And then, you know, other young unproven players and then and then in their rotation they've got like Noah Syndergaard slotted in there and he he's coming off a down year and for the Padres yes they've got those star players for sure like Manny Machado Xander Bogarts Juan Soto and then in and in the rotation they've got some strong guys in Darvish Musgrove and Snell but beyond that in the rotation it's thin and then if you look at their projected like bench for example we're talking guys like Brandon Dixon Jose Azokar Adam Engel and you know Luis Campuzano who's a good prospect but if there's a couple injuries there then it isn't hard to see one of these teams or both of these teams perhaps hopefully falling off and for the Giants, they're kind of built in the opposite way and that there's not that star talent, but there's so many like layers of depth kind of to me, like in every facet of their team, like their their hitters, their outfielders, their infielders, their starters, their relievers, 
and that the pitching kind of bleeds together because of the depth and the rotation kind of bleeds some of those guys into the bullpen like Di Sclafani and Junis kind of projecting into the bullpen and I don't know I just think that again I think I I might take the under on this and normally I'm always taking the over uh, on what the computers spit out against the Giants or for the Giants but I just thought you know it was definitely worth mentioning that these came out and that they're high on the Giants and yes that 88 wins would sneak them into the playoffs the the loser here would be the Phillies it has the Phillies only at 85 wins so yes keep in mind Bryce Harper is gonna miss like half the year or more and so that's a big loss for them and yeah, they would be the team that got the closest but didn't quite get in with 85, and the Giants would be that last playoff team. But 88 wins is nothing to scoff at. I mean, that normally gets you into the playoffs, so maybe it's just a particularly strong league right now. The Padres and the Dodgers are strong. The Mets and Braves are super strong, and then you've got, you know, the Cardinals are always consistently good, and that's it. If you're the Giants, you've got to be the next team there, and and this projection at least says that they are. Of course, the games are played on the field, and this is just a projection. Total disclaimer, right? And baseball varies so much. Like in 2021, they outperformed their Zips projection by 30 wins, and so that can happen in baseball. So coming up in just a minute, some news about Logan Webb. He's not on the World Baseball Classic roster, even though he was supposed to be. So what's going on there? We'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. It's the number one sportsbook in America. We're really, really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America. It's FanDuel. And now, if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line, point spreads, to who will score a touchdown. You can also bet on Rookie of the Year odds, which I've been talking about a lot. I see a real opportunity with Kyle Harrison at plus 4,500 versus Marco Luciano is up there ahead of him, which doesn't make any sense. I would not bet on Luciano, but Harrison is, I think he has a real shot, but he's like more than 10 times worse odds than some of the top rookies, which I don't know. I'd put Harrison maybe in that conversation. Not that he'll necessarily win, but I think it's a, the odds are off there. FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, super easy to use, and best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. Join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, as promised, we are going to talk about Logan Webb, just kind of an odd omission from the World Baseball Classic roster. And the World Baseball Classic going to be something we're going to get to talk about in about a month. I mean, the games get underway in about a month. The USA roster, even without Webb, is just absolutely stacked. It is, it is a total all-star team. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. And the games get started in like a month from now. The U.S. has its first game kind of soon. I mean, in about a month. So uh, thanks for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Locked on MLB prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. So I just wanted to mention just the World Baseball Classic, the USA or every roster was announced yesterday. And 
Logan Webb was a strange omission because he had agreed to be a pitcher for Team USA, and then the rosters come out yesterday, and he's not on it. And so, I don't know. We've heard rumblings like Farhan Zaidi was asked at FanFest. I think actually Logan Webb was asked at FanFest about the possibility of him signing an extension, which has been a topic of discussion this winter for people like me, you know, in the media talking about Webb. I just want to be clear. I think there's some confusion, maybe. He's still under team control for three additional seasons, counting 2023. So he'll be here for sure for 2023, 2024, and 2025. But, you know, it they don't have to extend him this winter, but the closer a player gets to free agency, the less they have to gain, really, by uh, signing an extension. If you do it now, uh, there's a benefit to a player like Webb because he goes year to year in arbitration, Whereas if you do an extension, he's getting more guaranteed money. You're giving him not just 2023, but 2024, 2025, and then maybe one more guaranteed year and then a couple club options at the end of it, something like that. Whereas if Webb declines or gets hurt, say this year, he's not guaranteed anything beyond 2023. And so that's the benefit to the player. But the closer they get to free agency, that's less of an obvious benefit. And they're like, wow, if I just have one more good year, I'm going to hit the open market and get rich super rich like depending on how he's doing three years from now he could be in line for well over a hundred million dollars uh in terms of his contract so anyway that's why you start thinking about it now but you could also do it next off season when he's still got two more upcoming years of club control it would still it's not a huge like huge letdown if they don't do it this year the the letdown would be if they never do it at all and he gets to free agency and he's still good and he you know, is local and has said he wants to be a giant for life in this kind of interview he did the other day. But anyway, all that to say, perhaps the Giants were like, look, we want to we want to make you this extension offer. We want to get this done. But if we're going to do that, can you please not pitch for Team USA in the WBC? I get nervous about it personally. It's fun. It's cool. I want to see Logan Webb, you know, the, the United States become a fan of Logan Webb because he's pitching for the country, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, these are, you know, pitchers who aren't normally built up to start throwing highly competitive innings in early March. And that's what we're, we were looking at here. And so from, from that standpoint, I'm glad he's not pitching. Camilo Duvall is going to pitch in the WBC for God. I'm not a hundred. I think he's Dominican. Right. And uh, I mean, for a reliever, I feel a little less nervous. Starters going out there, that's part of the issue is going multiple innings, right? Like four or five innings about a month or at least three weeks prior to when they're normally throwing that many innings. But for Duvall, I mean, just a one inning here and there, hopefully he's fine. I mean, I, I would worry about him as well. He's a super important part of the current Giants and the future of the Giants. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that uh, Webb was just a surprising omission from the actual roster, even though he had agreed to it earlier in the offseason. So that's interesting. So the next thing I want to get into is some mailbag questions just to kind of dip into some more of them. The first one I want to talk about today is the asker of the questions name here is listed as what with a question mark who asks, why was there no upgrades to the infield defense? And so this kind of set me down a rabbit hole where I'm looking at outs above average on baseball savant and i'm looking at the fact that the giants outfield was the bigger problem at least according to outs above average which is kind of done 
by Statcast data. Uh, there are other defensive metrics. We're certainly not looking at like fielding percentage on this show. Fielding percentage very very flawed for so many reasons. Most importantly, doesn't care at all about range. You could just be the most stagnant field. You could literally just sit in a lawn chair, and as long as you don't make an error, like if the ball's hit right to you and you catch it, it's gonna fielding percentage is gonna say you're great. And the guy who has ridiculous range and gets to the ball that you had you know, more than no, less than 0% chance of catching because you're just sitting in a lawn chair, you get there and you're super fast and you drop it. It says that you're worse, even though you, your other guy never had a chance of getting there or anywhere close. So that just kind of sums up why fielding percentage stinks as a defensive metric. And that's why we're forced into other things like outs above average, defensive run saved, yada, yada, yada. But the Giants outfield, according to outs above average last year, was the main culprit for their poor defense. At minus 26, they were last in the major leagues by their outfielders. And in the infield, they were only at minus seven. And that ranked 21st in the league. So it's not like great, but you know, you're just seven uh outs better better than that by to away from being average, is what I'm trying to say. But then more importantly, when we look at, okay, who were the players that made that up? Because it's not enough to just look at the unit as a whole and say, why didn't they improve? You need to look at, okay, well, who was actually bad and who was not bad? And according to outs above average, the four worst defenders on the Giants in the infield were Brandon Belt, Tommy LaStella, and Donovan Walton. And that passes the eye test for me. Brandon Belt, historically a good defender, but with his bum knee, he just hasn't been able to move or he wasn't able to move well last year at all. And so he definitely didn't look like the same guy mobility wise. He just really couldn't move at all. And then Tommy LaStella for sure was just atrocious defensively. Uh, and that's why he was DHing a lot, which took that spot away from Jock Peterson. So that's another like they helped the outfield mix by getting Peterson out of there. And then Walton uh, doesn't figure to play much in the in the majors this year, although he is still in the organization. So coming up in just a minute, we'll finish the, this question. I'm going to talk about who were the good Giants defenders and what is the outlook given who's going to be starting for the team in 2023, or at least who's projected to start for the team in 2023. So we'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all of the fat and calories? I think I can... I think everybody is really. Then I've got something just for you. You've got to try a built bar. We just got through the holidays, and by this time, people are probably giving up on those New Year's resolutions, but not those who are fans of built bar because what they are able to provide is that indulgent, delicious flavor that reminds you truly of a candy bar and yet healthy macros to go along with it. Just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein in a typical bar. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. You can go to Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box of our hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. All right, as promised, just uh, wrapping up this question about the infield defense. So I think I've started to answer it in that the infield wasn't as bad as the outfield. And then the guys who hurt them the most in the infield aren't 
guys who project to play in the I mean, Belt and Lastella are gone. Belt, of course, is on the Blue Jays. Tommy Lastella was DFA'd despite the Giants owing him like eleven and a half million dollars this year. And then he signed a deal with the Seattle Mariners. And so they're gone. Walton is off the 40 man as well. He did re-sign a minor league deal with the Giants. But, uh, you know, using Walton as much as they did last year was kind of an emergency situation as it was. But looking at, okay, who are the projected starters? You've got Brandon Crawford at short, who last year, according to outs above average, was at plus seven. Uh, Tyro Estrada, this is kind of a point I keep making, but I see it written and said that Estrada, the defensive metrics hate Estrada. You're looking at one defensive metric. You're looking at defensive runs saved, if that's your attitude. And that's fine, but just know that not all of them always agree. And also, it's kind of these defensive metrics are best taken in larger samples than just one season and one metric. I want to look at all of them and I want to look at year to year to year to year and like combine them if possible. And so for Estrada, the defensive run saved was very bad last year, but outs above average was above average at plus three. So just keep that in mind. And I keep saying, I don't see any reason why he can't be a good defender. And you know, defense the last year it looks like an outlier, the DRS, the defensive run saved. So just I don't view him as a just for sure negative defender. Lamont Wade Jr. was actually at plus two at first base for the Giants last year in terms of outs above average. And then for me, David VR projects as the starting third baseman. And he was at negative one out above average last year in a limited sample. But still, the combined DRS or outs above average, excuse me, of those four would be uh, plus 11. And so that's not bad. And then I would also expect J.D. Davis and Wilmer Flores to get significant time in the infield as well. But they combined for negative five. So that mix of players there would have combined given those numbers for an overall positive number. And so why didn't they improve the infield defense? I still think that they'd have some problems if Brandon Crawford got hurt because Estrada, I think, would be worse at short. And I'm not sure his arm, he kind of slings its sidearm. I'm not sure that's the best plan for a shortstop. And then what do you do at second base? It probably moves like Wilmer Flores currently. You do have guys like Isan Diaz and Brett Wisely who are in the mix here. And so, but... Isan Diaz, I think, historically has not been a great defender when he's been in the majors when he was with the Marlins. But anyway, long story short, I don't think that the infield was as much of a problem as the outfield. And then addition by subtraction with some guys like Listella and Belt last year, I, I hate to say it. I mean, he was so long, such a good defender. But given what was going on with his knee and he just like couldn't move really, then he contributed to some of the defensive problems they had last year. Next question comes from Steve, who says, with Keith Law's organizational rankings coming out today, seems like a decent time to ask, would you trade the entire Giants organization of players for what the D-backs have, major leagues and all minor league affiliate rosters combined? Steve says, I would. So this is a tough question. I mean, I would literally have to like lay out all the players. And also, are you, are we talking about just players are we talking about inheriting contract statuses and so that's a big part of it because if you look at Arizona's payroll they're only projected at uh, 114 million dollars and so for the Giants who are spending 
in ter- okay, there's there's different payroll numbers we could use. We're not talking about luxury tax payroll, it's which is going to always be higher. But for the Giants, for their non-luxury tax payroll, we're looking at 192-ish million dollars. And so you could get the D-backs organization, their major league team, plus all their minor league teams, and then conceivably go into next offseason and have more money to spend than maybe you otherwise would have. The D-backs projected... Uh, payroll going into next year is just $41 million, whereas the Giants have committed uh, something like 100... What is it? I'm finding it now. The Giants have $102 million committed. So it gives you like $60 million extra to spend, and that's part of the equation. But I mean, I think I would definitely be intrigued because you're talking about adding a bunch of premium, young, under-team control talent, which is exactly what the Giants want and need. You've got a long-term deal for Cattell Marte, which I would like. You've got a couple years of Merrill Kelly, who was just, I mean, not having to face that guy would be a big win for the Giants. You've got two years of Christian Walker. They just acquired... Um, Gabriel Moreno, they lost Dalton Varsho in that trade, uh, but then they've got guys like Jake McCarthy under club control for six seasons, Corbin Carroll for six seasons, and some other top talent on the way. And so I think that I, I think that I would, but the difference is the Giants would then be able to spend money, whereas the D-backs are kind of self-limited in that they've got this all this kind of young talent, but they rely on that. They don't also go out and sign a Michael Conforto, Mitch Hanniger, a Carlos Rodon, you know, those type of moves where the Giants are willing to sign free agents. They don't, as much as people criticize their spending or whatever, they, they're always among the more active teams in the offseason in terms of signing free agents. They don't they tried to get the huge name and the huge contract this offseason. But think about, you know, Rodon last year and this year with all the bulk of the signings that they made. But just taking on the D-backs roster and therefore getting, you know, Corbin Carroll and uh, Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, all these young and then some of their top prospects. They've got a couple guys in like the top 15 who are close to the majors as well. And then being able to spend money, it would be enticing. But I think in 2023, given that, you know, there's no more players really out there to sign, the D-backs might, the Zips projections to have them at 81 wins and the Giants at 88. And so I might, I don't want to lose seven wins off my projection this season, but it might be worth it to get that premium young talent that the D-backs have. But that doesn't mean they're in a better position than the Giants because of their self-limiting kind of lack of willingness to spend at the same level of the Giants, same level as the Giants. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked on MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot, so thank you in advance, and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again next week, back to five episodes a week starting on Monday. So have a great weekend, and you are now Locked on Giants.